Welcome to the Bungo Pony Podcast with Brian Watson and Jim Griffin. Welcome, ladies, fish, gentlemen, and Joe Bouchard. He's just got back in his chair. We were off air. Yes. <laughs> off air, he sang us a little song with a like a mandolin, uh, and I wish I'd recorded it, but I didn't. Um, and it's um, it, that's probably going to haunt me, the fact that I never recorded oh, that. But that's uh, okay. Joe Bouchard, well, welcome to the Bunga Pony podcast, sir. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to talk to you guys. Been following this uh, this uh, podcast for a little while now, and uh, just oh, waiting for my call. Oh, don't, when don't, guys... please, no, pisk, pisk. <laughs> Jim's gonna faint. <laughs> I have uh, fainted over here. Uh, <laughs> But no, as we were saying off air, Joe, it's a it's a wonderful uh, honour, and uh, we're so glad that you joined us uh, this evening. We're here ostensibly to talk about what I think is one of the uh, best um, rock records of the year, quite easily. Um, American rocker, isn't it? Can I quote you on that? I will put that on my website. I will. I'll, I will write it more eloquently than that. But uh, but yeah, yeah, as we as we mentioned, well, thank you. As we mentioned, Jim's a bit more of a, a sort of fanboy when it comes to your post Blue Oyster Cult releases, but I've had a chance to listen to American Rocker quite a few times, and we did the, the pod before this was at Jim's forty forty one minute best of Joe Bouchard uh, playlist, mm. and, and we specifically cool. specifically said we weren't going to do American Rocker because obviously we're going to talk to you now. But um, but yes, Jim's a Jim's a massive fan, aren't you, Jim? Well, uh, of course I'm a fan of Joe Bouchard. Who who wouldn't be a fan of Joe Bouchard? But yeah, Joe, your your solo career, the stuff with Blue Coop, um, the work you're doing with Albert recently, just just fantastic. And uh, you know, it's it was. I think everybody's been commenting about you playing the trumpet on some of Al's new stuff, and yeah, uh, that's just really special. How did how did that come about? Um. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, one of those obsessions that I had since high school, and uh, I was never very good. Uh, I, I certainly couldn't play on a recording, um, but in my later years, I found a little time, and I got obsessed with brass instruments, and I started with a 100-year-old cornet that uh, I, I, I joined a brass band a local brass band in, uh, of, of retired people up here in Connecticut. And uh, then I started uh, playing playing more and, and having a good time. And if you go on YouTube, you can find lessons, uh, you know, how to play like Miles Davis or, you know, how to play like Louis Armstrong. And so, I, I of course, I would slow them down to half speed. <laughs> uh, but you can do that these days. So the technology is great for practicing anything, anything you want to learn. And uh, Albert, early on in the days uh, when he was doing uh, the Reimaginos record, that's Imaginos One, he said, "Here, do something with this." And he didn't have any anything. And I said, "Well, how about I play the trumpet?" You know. Oh, wow. And he was. Uh, he was uh, he was into um, the band Love. You know the band Love from, yeah. from San Francisco. 
many years ago. They were on Electra at the same time as the soft underbelly. And they had some trumpet on their tracks. And he said, if you can make it sound like love, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, I, did, I really didn't think about that. I just, you know, I said, you know, this song needs something. And there's a spot there where there could be a solo. So I just did that. And then he gave me the song Imaginos. And there was another spot like really needs a solo right there. Uh, and, um, you know, I just uh, sent him the tracks. He was he was happy, very happy. There's, yeah. um, there's, and, uh, there's brass on this one, isn't there, Joe, as well? The um, American rocker. Is that that's all you, I take it? Yeah, that's brass on there. Lots of lots of brass. I'm not exactly sure. I think conspiracy is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, has has a lot of brass in it. I wanted that to be like the the old Motown brass section, you know, and the the band's kicking out in the boom, boom. <laughs> So in my in my yeah. note in my notes, I've put, I've put a, a note by um, a, a song which we'll get to in a minute called "Love Out of Thin Air," which uh, has got some brass yeah. on it. Is yeah. that is that you as well? Yes. Yes, I've put, that has I've, some brass in it. I've put massive asterisk by that, saying this song is on oh, well, is on effing repeat in my car at the moment. Yeah. But we will get to that one in a moment. Um, but what yeah. I, I did want to ask you is, you probably haven't, but have you heard of a British progressive rock band called Big Big Train? No, no. Ah. Do some do some googling, Joe. You will love 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 yeah. um, their work because they incorporate. A full brass band in a lot of their arrangements. Oh, really? What's yeah, the, they do. How do you spell that? Big, it, big. It's big, big train. Train. You will. Yeah. You will enjoy it. And I, I put a little note in my um, sort of cheat sheet. Yeah. Just to ask Joe whether he'd asked uh, whether he'd heard um, any big, big train because of the brass. I um, will definitely look that up. Good, yeah. good stuff. It's a classic yeah. album, uh, Joe. It's forty-one minutes long. Which which right. me which me and Jim try and do on our playlists. That's a, that's a proper album, is that in it? Yeah, I guess. Proper. I, actually, I recorded twelve tracks, but the, the the last track I just couldn't get it done. I couldn't get it done, you know. So there's just like one. We cut twelve tracks in the studio, and just one. It, the form wasn't right. Wasn't coming together, and everything else just fell like fell out of the sky. I mean, all the songs, um, all the songs are written during the pandemic. So you could say that this is my pandemic album, you know, uh, all this, you know, everybody, I don't know if it's the same over there, but here all the gigs were canceled. Um, you know, it was hard to get into the studio, you know, everybody was stuck at home, you know, disinfecting, they're groceries, you know, rubbing think, down yeah. with alcohol. I think, yeah. <laughs> we, 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 so, we try. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know that a lot of uh, musicians were profoundly upset about this, but I thought it was tremendous because I could stop and really work on songs without any distractions. And, um, the, the 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 you know some of the riffs and chords I've had for maybe a couple of years or uh, things from the last album 
uh, the Strange Legends album, but but all of it was just recorded, you know, pretty much on the spot, you know, um, not a lot of, uh, and, and I wrote a lot of lyrics too. So I think there's more me in this album than any other album I've done. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of lyrics and I, I just was going to plow through it and make sure that, you know, um, you know, whatever it took to get the songs in the proper order. And then by the end, it started sounding great. So, yeah. I was, was going to ask you, know. you that. I was going to ask you that, Joe, because me and um, me and Jim, we do playlists on the on the pod, and we like mash two albums together. And I, I mm-hmm. do anguish and think about which song song should go first and which song should go at the end. Um, if it's um, it, if it's anything from a, a, a an amateur naive podcaster, I think the flow of this album is amazing. It, it's autobiographical, isn't it? it it's it, yeah. Oh, it seems very, very much so. Very autobiographical. When I got to the end, I I didn't know what I was going to call it, but then I saw this uh, uh, artwork by my this uh, artist who who painted me digital painting of me in the seventies, and I said, "Well, what should this be?" American rocker. <laughs> what else? What else could it be? I, I know. Else, you know. Uh, uh, well, I know. It was G- the story of story <laughs> of my life in the seventies. You know, when I was just getting started and everything was exciting, and uh, you know, everybody sends out those uh, posters, posters from gigs from the seventies, and all the opening acts and. the 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 package tours that we were on and uh, you know playing the 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 little uh, little high school gyms and then from there getting up to playing the arenas and then playing the stadiums I'm like how cool is that you know it's amazing I can't believe it actually happened you know it's amazing it's like mm, did this really happen do you know that I guess uh, that- not a time for for re- reflection. A lot of time for reflection. It came out and like, yeah. So you know, let's just do something about that. You know, uh, rather than you know, than writing about flying saucers. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that that classic poster of the Blue Oyster Cult, all five of you on the stage. I think Albert had his mm. leather shorts on, didn't he? Oh, um, yes. but but I, I Jim likes Jim likes Albert's leather shorts. But we, we'll, we talk about the leather I, shorts I, all I the talk, time. Uh, I tell Albert, you know, you you must have had a side career going in those days. We'll speak. We'll speak. In fact, in uh, adult movies. In, in, in fact, in fact, Joe, we we have got we have got a jingle that um, that touches on it. Ah, yes. Hotter than Jim Griffin's leather shorts. This is the Bungo Pony Podcast. For all your Blue Oyster Cult related needs. And then some. (laughs) Oh, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. No expense spared on this podcast. But yes, I had that that poster on my uh, wall at my mum and dad's until... I went to university and then um, on my university wall um, and then even in my first house and um, 
it's our um, digital image, I think, on oh, the yeah. uh, on the uh, uh, on the on the Facebook page. It's so iconic; it's just amazing. But um, but yes, um, getting us back on track a little bit. Deco D E K O have released yes. the album. They've done um, they do Albert stuff as well, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We we started our own uh, custom label called Rock Heart Records, and uh, Deco is our our distributor, and they're well connected. It uh, you know in Europe and uh, and uh, and in the United States. So they've been doing a great job, and and they're great to work with. You know, I they they have a tremendous publicist. I've done this is my thirty seventh interview with you guys. And I'm not complaining because everybody's nice and they're, they're saying nice things about the album. Um, it's been really easy to talk to everybody, you know, all, all, all good. And um, I, I can't believe we, you know, we started this, we started the record label in the middle of the pandemic. We got the deal in the middle of the pandemic. Albert and I are, are not young chickens. Uh, we're not young chickens, so uh, it really requires that we um, dig into the as much creativity as we can come up with to um, justify, you know, them investing in us. And you know, but we we can do things on the fly. Albert just sent me a song I'm working on now that I'm going to I'm singing a vocal on. Uh, you know, I can put anything I want on it. I send it back to him. He gets it mixed. And it's just a fun process, you know. Um, it, 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 you know, it would be nice to all be back in the studio. But economically, it's better for me to do my work here in the studio here and send it out. Does it fit? Send it back. I'll do another one, you know. Well, and, Jim, uh, Jim's, Jim's the songwriter of our partnership. Um, so he's mm-hmm. probably he's probably the the one who should speak to you about all the songwriting stuff. I'm just a, okay. I'm just a balding middle aged fat man who, who was a policeman for twenty five years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Good. Now you're not that fat, Brian. Don't worry about it. Well, no, I've got me. I've got me. You can't see below the table, to be fair. But no, I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just not, as well, Brian. Just as well. I, I'm not. I'm not too bad, but uh, I'm conscious of the fact that uh, Jim is Jim is sat there, sort of yes. s- sitting on his hands Trim. and stuff. So um, even if, even even with all that uh, that lager he drinks, he looks <laughs> he, he looks gr- he looks great. We we did chat on the on the pod before this, which which was about you, Joe, about. Um, Jim meeting up with you back in uh, was it uh, Dublin, Jim? It yeah. was I think it was Galway and Limerick I met you in, Joe. Yes. You were touring with the ex brothers with Andy the and Jimmy Cacala. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, you tour you toured the whole country that time. Yes. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, it was always I had never been to Ireland until that time. Yeah. And uh we met this doctor, the doctor from Limerick, I think. He was, yeah. Yeah, a nice guy. And uh, he came and saw us in New York City playing uh, for a benefit on the street uh, in downtown New York City. And, you know, 
really set up a nice tour. Nice people. Um, what was the group that was on there too? It was Being, Diamond Head, I think. Diamond Head, yes, yeah. Diamond Head. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, that was Too great. That fun. was great. <laughs> no, no, no. Just the right amount of fun, Joe. As that's how I recall. Although I don't remember it terribly clearly. I, yeah, I, I did suggest Joe that you wrote the pub that never shuts after meeting Jim. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah oh yeah oh, yeah it never closes the pub that never yeah, closes that's sorry it. yes yeah. that's it yeah. never close I, I, it's actually a true story i went down uh oh it's a it's it's a very long story but and since this is a, a you know you have only a limited amount of time here but i went to this uh i was down in atlantic city and I, uh, I was staying overnight because I was down there for uh, a business thing. And, uh, and right across from the hotel, I wanted to get some food. And it was the, the Irish pub. That's what it was. It was the Irish pub. And I went over and I say, are you still open? And they said, we never close. <laughs> There's no, there's no lock on the door. <laughs> uh, that was a real Irish pub, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how I do it. I but thought, it's, it's a casino <laughs> town, you know, and the, the casino people have to have a place to go. And yeah. uh, so I, that's how that song came about. But that's good. I, I, I really should have made it a little, you know, I, I played it for my friends after and say I, they can't understand what it's about, but it, it was it was kind of a complicated story and I should have I should have see that's where I would have needed the time like I did this time where everything was cleared out and just work on that song. Yeah. But you know when you're doing fifteen things at once and you're playing in seven bands and you know um, you know as as Ian Hunter told me. If you want to write good songs, you got to put in the time, you know, mm. and if you work all day and you only get one word, it's worth it. So thank yeah. you, Ian. We spoke, we spoke about Ian on a pod, a, a, a couple of pods back, didn't we? He was, uh, he was sort of quite friendly with Eric, wasn't he, Ian Hunter? Yes. Yes. Eric went over or he came over to Eric's house, I think, and they wrote going through the motions. And then I think he wrote, go let go and i remember i remember we were in the studio and eric brought in some ian hunter lyrics i don't think they were ever used but it was very nice of you know ian's like that and i just sort of ran into him at the magazine store where i lived up in in connecticut and i found out he lived really close to me and he gave me his number so I was at that time I was writing songs with uh, Neil Smith and Dennis Dunaway. And we had this like sort of Monday night writing band. And I said, uh, Ian, you want to come down and, and write some songs with us? Uh, we, we had this thing on Monday nights and he, and he says, yeah, I'll go. And I, I went and picked him up. And the nice thing was we had this trip. It was about 40 minutes from, from Ian's house to Neil's house. And and he was telling me all kinds of stories about how he wrote these songs and, you know, working with uh, Mick Ronson and uh, 
and and we we just it was very nice. So he was kind of like my sing, my songwriting tutor. Wow. You know, he would give me lessons like, well, if you want to write a good song, you got to do this, and you know. And he took me into the studio. He's got little folders on the wall, all over all over the wall. There's a folder, and in each folder is a song. So he keeps himself like on track, to, and you know he's in his eighties now, and still yeah. coming up with good songs. You know, so is, he's one of my one of my heroes. Is there anything sort of seventy three year old you would tell twenty three year old you, Joe? Don't smoke so much weed. <laughs> <laughs> you hear you heard it here first. <laughs> well. And uh, I, I, I kind of think what fifty-seven-year-old me would tell seventeen-year-old me, and it's probably I never, never smoked weed apart from a couple of times at university. It made me sick in a bath. Uh, so, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, drink more beer. Probably, uh, yeah, I would. I yeah, would, I would yeah. probably tell seventeen-year-old me. Although that's probably yeah. hard, hard to no, do. I was, I was pretty lazy. I think at seventeen. Um, I, I I just felt like it was just a great ride, you know. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to end up with really talented musicians. And there was this songwriting team with Sandy Perlman, Richard Meltzer, Helen Wheels, David Roeder, and all the guys in the band wrote songs too. So, you know, it was just like a lucky thing. And, you know, they would ask me for a song, you know, once a year, one song, once a year. So I didn't really um, push my output as much as I should have. So I would say definitely write more songs. Um, I used to feel like I was like not appreciated, not appreciated by the rest of the guys. I was just kind of like the, the lone, uh, the bass player. Don't, don't let the bass player write in. The bass player, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then, then, like, 35 years later, I'm reading a book about George Harrison. Same thing happened to George Harrison. He didn't get any respect. <laughs> it's, very, it's very common now. But back, back in the 70s, we didn't understand that George really was, was, was uh, affected by the way that... Uh, Paul and John sort of dominated the band, you know, they, you know, I mean, it took them a while to, to get the momentum going to come up with some really great stuff. And it took a lot of courage to say, you got to do my song too. <laughs> I know, I know before, before we get to the new album, Joe, I know um, Jim wanted to speak to you a bit about your collaboration with uh, Helen Wheels. Mm. Didn't you, Jim? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was just wondering because Joe, you know, back back when I I was listening to Blue Eyes Scott Records for the first time, and and you know there was no internet, so there was no access to information, and so we didn't know the New York scene, and and just so many of my favorite BOC songs and and are written by you and Helen, and I, I and there's a track on the new album that I really love called Catherine, which is oh yeah. Beautifully, yeah. really lovely lyrics, which I presume are, are Helen's. And then you've just put this beautiful open kind of chord structure around it. Yeah, yeah. It's, that, I just wondered about her and what you could tell us about her. Well, that that is one of those songs that 
song Catherine, she gave me the lyrics back in the 80s, back in the 80s. And it just sort of sat in a folder. And somehow when I'm working, folders get shifted around. And that lyric, which was uh, a JPEG, it wasn't even a text file. And it was typed on a typewriter, an old mechanical typewriter. No, no computers involved. And I remember so it well. I pulled it out, and it took me less than a day. I had it done in a day. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, putting the whole arrangement took a little longer, but uh, I, I just knew that once I, you know, did the work, it just said, uh, wow, this is great. And actually, to be honest, she did another version of Catherine that Albert played on it with the Helen Wheels band. And right. that one, um, it was go, 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 Catherine. Yeah, go, 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 Catherine. No, no, I don't like that. No. <laughs> it's just, it was like kind of a, you know, a power punk, power yeah. punk type of thing. And no, this is, this is a, a emotional story, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, I could see. As I'm writing the song, I'm seeing it in my mind. It's the it's the exotic dancer in yeah. in in New York City, you know, working for tips, you know, and um, and and she, she was a good friend. It's just a true story. She was a good friend of Helen's, and <laughs> Helen had a, a bunch of oddball friends from New yeah. York. I, I I you know I I, I can't, but yeah. So I'm I'm glad that that one made the cut, and uh, I get so much uh, very comments on that. So many very good comments about that. I mean, in another era, another lifetime, maybe at the right time, that could be a hit single. You know, yeah, could be could be a hit single. It's got that. It's got the vibe. You know, I it's got the vibe. When me and when me and Jim come to do our top twenty Blue Oyster Cult tracks, which we will do eventually. Now, this is a pod 10, by the way, Jim. So we're, we're, we've done 10 so far, lad. I can't believe they've let us do 10 of them, Brian. That's that's but, ridiculous. But a, a large number of them will be written by you, Joe. This Fallen Angel, Vengeance, Moon Cry. Oh, okay. I think of all the s- songs I wrote with Helen. Well, first of all, let's go way back. When Albert first moved to New York, Helen was his first girlfriend. And I think she was out on Long Island. And they got hooked up together. And uh, next thing you know, she's writing Tattoo Vampire. And she's writing uh, Sinful Love. Wow. wow. Her jealousy. Wow. With, uh, or her, her sort of jealousy with Patti Smith. They, did, they didn't get along. It was not a, it was not a love fest, you know. Uh, but, you know, Patty's Patty. And, Helen is Helen, and you know they don't have to get along. You know, yeah. uh, so um, she wrote "Sinful Love" about Patty Smith. You know, you're over wow. my shoulder. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you did, you did, you did not, you did not for our two with her as well, didn't you, Jeff? Yeah, that was. Yeah, I don't know what Albert was doing at that time. Well, he was writing with his wife at that mm. time. He wrote uh, Fireworks with Karen. Yeah, right. You're not the one you warn me of with Karen. Um, 
And uh, Helen had these lyrics. It was easy. Uh, Albert kept saying, well, get some Helen's lyrics. And when I think about it, uh, as the lyrics say, she really has a, a very musical mind. Uh, not all lyrics that you get have that just sort of nice, oh, the, the, the melody is going to move in this direction at that point, you know. But um, we were supposed to go on tour in Canada with Todd Rundgren. And uh, it was going to be a really nice trip. We were going to take the Trans-Canadian Railway from one side of the country to the other. And it was, ah, oh, it was going to be great. The tour got canceled. So I flew home a couple days earlier and uh, had these lyrics and uh, sat down at the piano. And I think most of Spectre's was recorded before... Celestial the Queen and uh, Nosferatu. Wow. But I uh, sat down at the piano and, you know, plunked them out, made quick demos, took them into rehearsal. And the next thing you know, they're on the album. And they're, they're you know, especially Nosferatu, which is a big movie song. It's a movie song. So there's a lot of emotional ups and downs and, you know, telling the whole story of the movie. Um, I love that one. I love that one. I had really and love working in the in uh, the record plant. Great engineers. Great, uh, you know, the production team was in place. I I had all these beautiful keyboards. I think Alan played the piano, but I played the organ, and I played the um, the uh, Chamberlain or is it Mellotron? It was a Mellotron. Real, um, you know, oh, all the best stuff. That's a prog. That's a prog. Don't, don't, don't worry, Joe. I'm going to make you sound fine on this podcast. I'll, oh, I'll, okay. I'll, 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 I'll EQ you and and, and, and compress you. Don't, don't How's worry. The sound. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, it's it's fantastic. But um, you are a little bit. High. It sounds like you've been sort of snorting helium. So I will change it in the <laughs> in the in the. In the uh, you sound fine to me, Joe. I, I, I think Brian's been smoking that weed. Yeah, In, indeed. I, I was I, I, before we get to the new album, which we've taken thirty minutes to get to. I know, I know, Jim's a big, a big, big, big fan of Morning Final, aren't you, Jim? Ah, oh, look, I mean, isn't everybody? I mean, these songs are just. <laughs> um, they're iconic tracks, but I'm interested to ask you, Joe, because you mentioned there, you know, when you were writing these tracks, um, when you were writing tracks in the seventies, were you writing them at piano? Were you writing on guitar? You're a multi-instrumentalist. So kind of, where do you go to when you start to write? You know, most, mostly piano. Okay. I went out and bought a used um, baby grand. I think I paid $300 for it. It was this ugly brown. So, of course, I, I went to the hardware store and got some house paint, painted it all white. It's like ugly brown, $300 uh, thing. And then I learned how to tune the piano, too. Oh, wow. So I, I bought the, the tools to tune a piano, and I still tune pianos now. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that piano was a, a very inspiring. Um, I think... I think uh, probably 
I'd write on guitar maybe 20% of the time and probably 80% of the time I write on piano. And um, yeah, mostly piano. Uh, I, you know, I was a piano major in college, studied classical piano for four years. Yeah. Of course, I was the worst piano player in my class. <laughs> I was always the worst. <laughs> I mean, some of these players, they, they started when they were like three and, and they could play concertos and symphonies and yeah. whatever. They my, could, yeah. I, I could, I could play like Jerry Lee Lewis. That's, that was my, yeah. that was my style. A little boogie woogie, you know. My, my, but, yeah. My but none, none of them wrote astronomy, Joe. So, you know. That's true. <laughs> them are, most of them are like, uh, uh, they didn't go into music. Most of yeah. the, yeah. Uh, and there's one, uh, one, two, three. May I could maybe name five or ten out of a class of three hundred that yeah. still still do music. I can't believe yeah. I'm doing it. Ah, yeah, get out of that. And did you write, uh, Joe? Did you write, say, Disbusters, Astronomy? You were writing the music to those, weren't you? Yes. Yes. Uh, I worked on Disbusters for about a week or two weeks. I got the lyrics from Sandy. We had, at that time, we had a rented band house and we had a Hammond B3 organ right in the middle of the living room. Nice. So in the morning, every, every morning, I'd go down to the, uh, the Hammond and I'd be playing some chords, you know? And uh, so the, the basic chords for the, the verse and the riffs, most of that was me on the Hammond organ. Of course, the band came in and added the whole jam stuff. And uh, I, I think the loose for the light thing, that was a band thing. So I, that was fine that, that, that we gave band credit for the whole song. But for the record, mostly it was me. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> that, that, that one. And, and astronomy was another one. I, I'd seen the lyrics a couple of weeks before, and I had to change around some of the words. Uh, Sandy's third line was the clock strikes 12. I said, no, that the first line should be the clock strikes 12. Because you got to you got to set the set the set the story. You got to set the timeline, you know. And that craziness starts at midnight, you know? <laughs> so I changed that around and maybe a few other things just to try to make it fit that sort of musical thing yeah. where the where the you thread the melody around these words and that's what you've got. So I had all of that in place. Um I went for a walk on the beach, came back. I had the melody, the opening melody for the clock strikes 12. And um, we started rehearsing it. And, and this gets a little cloudy. Don't remember making a demo, but I think there is a demo. Uh, somewhere in my pile of tapes, there's a demo. I, I will find it someday. <laughs> you got to find that, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, and then Albert came in with some ideas. And those were really good ideas. The fast section, where it goes to the bump, 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 bump. That was Albert's idea. And then the connecting melodies too. Those da 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 da. That was Albert. 
thing. We were both we were both hitting on all cylinders then, you know, and Sandy Perlman's lyrics, you know, yeah. with, with a very few alterations. I had no problem dealing with uh, the poets, the poets that would bring in their poetry and then switching things around and, you know, to make it, you know, more lyrical rather than poetic, you know, yeah. they, they, uh, you know, like they would get something for Patty and, and refuse to rhyme it or, you know, switch, you know, switch it out, except in maybe very small ways. But I, I had no problem. Like, if I want to change it, I change it. You know. Yeah. I think I think the the songwriting is is amazing. But from um, I'm speaking as 16, 17 year old Brian now, and what for me did it was the live performances. I mean, I didn't see you until Donington, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, but uh, I bought some Enchanted Evening first. And and that just defined my life for the next forty years. That is a great recording. And mm. Just we 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 wanted to do. I know we did on your feet or on your knees, and that came out good. But we wanted to make sure that uh, the next one, the next live one, uh, was really well recorded and well mixed and well played. All the all the all the things had to be right about it it maybe lost a little spontaneity but <clears throat> it was fun because we would go we had a recording truck on the road with us and after we finished the show we go into the recording truck <clears throat> we we listen to it we find little things come back the next and we would make notes things that we had to play differently to get them recorded right go back the next day make those little changes in this thing and then go back in the truck. And it was like, it was just like working in the studio, but it was on the road. So I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed that process. It was great and well worth it because, you know, people, people talk about it, you know, decades later. It's a wonderful album. The second album I bought was Cultosaurus Erectus, but, um, but that's another matter. We, we've got to get back to American Rocker, I think. Okay. Because yeah. we have been very remiss. Jim, Jim's, Jim's been naughty and allowed I'm me sorry. To... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going off script, Brian. I, know, I do apologize. I it's, <laughs> it's, 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 all, it's all your fault. Um, one question I was going to ask you before we get to that, um, and it's by my notes for morning final. What was if there was a process for um, book adding solos to songs that you'd written, mm. because I think the, the solo on, on uh, morning final is, is tremendous. So, so did, did, did you have yeah. any, did you have any say in it or did you just say, Hey, no, he just did it. He just did it. Oh, wow. I wrote, that's another one I wrote on piano, uh, actually played the piano on the recording. Um, I think there's, there's, uh, three pianos, actually three pianos on the final recording. Uh, I was sick the day we cut the track, so I don't think I played that well. And so they made me do it, uh, do some uh, like electric piano and and the and the grand piano. Uh, no, no, we got to that point, and that that's just Donald doing his improvising best. You know, he pulls them out of the air, and that that certainly is a highlight 
for me personally, and I guess for a lot of people. And that song was just one of those things. I I picked up, I was staying in the city right next to Patty Smith's apartment on 14th Street. And I put, pulled out the newspaper. It was the morning newspaper. And, and it had a thing about this murder in the subway. And then I found out it was 100 feet from our door that happened. It, it was like really close. And I was like, you know, being a, a naive country boy from upstate New York, I, I was freaked out about that. So that was the, the whole thing about that. And pretty much what was in the newspaper is what I wrote about. I think uh, I think Jim picked that as one of his finest book moments, didn't you, Jim? Yeah, and uh, Joe, this is something we we discuss a lot mm-hmm. because obviously Donald Roser's guitar playing is 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 often talked about, but I often think his greatest solos come in other people's songs. There must have just been some kind of mm-hmm. you know way you guys worked as a band because I think sometimes his finest guitar playing is where he. He kind of plays around melodies that very often yourself or Al Bouchard have 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 put put in there. Well, for me, they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him back in 1967 when Albert came up to the farm. I was living on a farm then, and played the uh, acetate, which is the plastic, you know, just a the test test thing of some soft white underbelly stuff. And I said, oh, this sounds good. And then the guitar came in and I, oh my God, it's great. You know? So I was very happy to be Donald's bass player. <laughs> he was my, I, he was my guitar player, but I was his bass player for many yeah. years. That, yeah. And I, I felt like that, that was my job too, was to make, make, make the guitar stand out. And so I couldn't play too much. I just had to play the right thing to, uh, you know, keep it all solidified and he could just soar. Take off. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first track on the new, it's taken us 43 minutes to talk about the album. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the, this is an album. This is what the album's about. It is. It's entirely autobiographical. I mean, the first, the first track, my, my way is the highway brothers together chasing the sun. Um, there we go. I mean, the, 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 the vocal harmonies. it, It popped out of the air. I had this riff that I, was thinking it was kind of based on I don't I, you've probably never heard of the TV series called Route 66. It was an old American TV series from like 1961 or 62, and um, they had two guys in a Corvette, and they traveled around the country, and they would get into all of these situations. So I'm thinking that's great. I want to write a song about that, you know. So I had this riff, dun, 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 and it was kind of like getting in the car kind of music, you know, getting in the car kind of music. So um, how did it? I don't know. It was just like one of those things. And that one came pretty quick. I started, you know, getting the rhythm, getting the getting the feel down. And then uh, I hit the chorus, and then I said, my way is the highway. 
you know, and I said, no, but that's, you know, that's, that's too obvious, you know, and then I kept, and I looked around and there's, well, is that phrase has been used in other songs in other ways, you know, hit the highway, you know, take the highway, those kind of things. Uh, and there were there, I think, a couple of country songs called My Way is the Highway. And then I listened to those country songs. They're terrible. <laughs> so I said, OK, this isn't going to be a competition. They're not going to think that my song is their song, etc." So, yeah. And then uh, the verses fell together, you know, telling the story. A couple of guys in the car. They're racing along to get to the show. Actually, it was going to be the sound check. But I said, wait a minute, it should be the concert because that's more universal, you know. Um, and uh, so it was the sound check. But no, nobody knows what sound check is, you know. But that everybody wants to get to the concert on time. So that was the easy one. I've got, to, I've, I've, one. I've got to ask you, I've got to ask you, Joe, before we go to uh, uh, In the Golden Age, uh, what the um, songwriting process for one of my top five Blue Oyster Cult songs, The Marshall Plan, was. Well, oh, well, that was a that was a a, uh, a song that was written as a group, as a group in the studio. Um, I don't recall if we had anything. It's you know, it's a you don't want to write songs in the studio because you don't know if they're going to come out. Or, 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 and you're, it's very expensive because you're paying just to sit there and think, well, you know, yeah. and the clock yeah. is ticking, yeah. you know, yeah. the bills, the you bills were, are getting running. You were fire. quite big so, then, though, weren't you? You were quite a big band by then. But Martin yeah, Birch, we big band Martin then. Birch yeah. will have slapped you down, surely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was great, though. So I think, I think, uh, I think that was just a, 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 a everybody had a, a riff they wanted to throw in and so it's it has a lot of different riffs with it yeah i i yeah and i I'm, i know it divides uh, it divides the community but i adore it and it's in my top five well um, great yeah so. um you know we 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 had high hopes that it was going to be a hit but uh you never know what's going to be a hit we'll, we'll have to do another podcast about donnington um but oh. um but that's for another time. Yeah. Another time. <laughs> another time. Um, but uh, I know Jim's a mahoosive, as, uh, as am I, fan of uh, In the Golden Age, which was one of the singles off the album, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, that one I I finished. I sent it to Albert, and Albert said, you know, guitar is not good on this, you know. And he said, why don't you get your good friend John Jorgensen? to play the guitar and john is a good friend we went to iraq in 2010 um he's played with elton john he's like he's like elton, elton john's second guitar player he he's always on call for elton and then he plays with chris hillman who's a, a, a quite uh an influence on me personally and uh, played with him in the Desert Rose Band and the in uh, the Chris Hillman Trio, and they they do a lot of things. He he recorded with Tom Petty. The last album that Tom worked on was the Chris Hillman album, and and John got to do that. So anything you want John to do, he will do. You know, 
So I, I, and he's busy. He plays a whole Django Reinhardt show where he plays just like Django, just like Django. Unbelievable. Uh, so I got him to do In the Golden Age. He sent me the track back. I sent him a chart. I actually printed out a chart. This is kind of what I want you to do. But he took it to another level. You know, he's like Donald. He's like Donald. He's, he's magical. He's magical, magical player. And, uh, yeah, sent it back. And I'm, I, was, I was very happy. He did that. And he did this other one that I really love, which is uh, Off-Season off Hotel. And, and that's another long story. Uh, but I, 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 I love I adore, I adore that song, but I've not finished talking about In the, in the Golden Age oh, yet. In the Golden Age. Not oh, finished talking. Not by a long, not by a I long chalk. I had I had the track, and music was all finished, and um, it's a long story. Well, it's a long story. We can we can do it. we can do another pod, but I just wanted to sort of pick out a few lyrics that it's a it's a yeah. four minute distillation of your career, isn't it? And, yeah, and, pretty much. You know, well, we had things like the first verses were so easy to write because. You know, they would say, uh, well, how long are we going out for for tour? And they say, mm, the duration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we'd be out there. In the very early days, I must admit, things got canceled a lot. So we'd come home. Or, you know, we'd had days off, more days off than we probably wanted. And then when we got popular, uh, we never had a day off. You know, we were, we were working all the time. So, you know, that line, well, how long are you out for? The duration. So that was one of the things. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're, you're elevating the fans on the stairway to the stars. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I wrote that one. I said, no, I can't do this. But yeah, up all, up all hey, night. And there's, up. No pressure, there's no pressure on this record. I'm yeah. not competing against anybody. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's really just expression of myself and if i want to use you know you know taking all the fans on the stairway to the stars why not but i like i like the up all night night. (laughs) i like the up all night sleep all day line as well because that goes back to no room for a fragile heart joe's advice you gotta be tough you gotta be tough to be able to do those tours well i i I, can't be uh i put i put a i put a line under that line um, no room for a fragile heart, and, and what I mean, what do you put your longe- longevity down to? Because there's an awful lot of bands who haven't lasted fifty years. I, I, I don't know. You know, I think I think it was probably a good idea when Sandy created the idea of the band that we were going to do music that was not retro. We're going to try to do music that was slightly ahead of its time. Uh, you know, the heavy metal stuff that was coming out. You know. And, uh, and, and, and the whole idea that the band really was not very commercial in the early days, it, we, you know, they didn't want to, we, we were weird and we liked being weird. <laughs> we wore it proudly on our shirts. Well, that's why, that's why weird, we, that's why we loved guy. you. That's why yeah, boy, a man. lot of, a lot of people loved you. Yeah. So I think that does kind of keep it. Uh, fresher 
to later generations, you know, because there there was kind of an oddness about the band that that uh, wasn't the typical, you know, you know, at the time, you know, Billy Joel, and, mm. yeah, you know, Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> I if we had as many hits as Elton John, that would be all right too. But you know, no, no, we were going to be that weird band that has you know that did the odd little records, and yeah. and, and uh, it was okay with us, you know. Yeah, of course, be, you, know, be... you have a hit record, things change, you know. Yeah. The pressures internal and external come in. Yeah. Next track up on the album, and it's I've got an asterisk. Um, I've got a listener question. In fact, I've got a bell somewhere. Hold on. Here we are. Oh, listener, wow. listener question. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Hey, people think we're not these things together, Joe, but... Um, Hours, hours, hours of preparation hours of that went into choosing that bell. He's got a hundred bells behind him that weren't quite right. I got, to, I got my roadies out trying every single bell mm-hmm. that you could possibly. It's like that. Gen, yeah. It's like that Genesis um, documentary where Phil Collins sent his roadie out to find a stool that sounded good, wasn't it? <laughs> but to, oh, before before I ask uh, Will McBride's question. Um, I, I've, I've got a question uh, for you, uh, Joe Bouchard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The first band I ever saw live was UFO, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I bought uh, Strangers in the Night, the double live album. Yeah. Um, and in the sleeve notes, it said, thanks to Rush and Mo- I think Molly Atchett, and then it was BOC, and I could never understand why UFO... Yeah, we, we- we toured with them a lot. I know, but I could never understand because um, BOC was British Oxygen Company. So, <laughs> right, so for quite right. so for quite a while, <laughs> I had no idea. I'm not sure if they put a, an umlaut on it. I don't think they did put an umlaut on no, it. No, no. But uh, they but, were the other BOC. But they are <laughs> UFO are the um, prototypical Spinal Tap band, are they not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. With the tight with the tight pants. I mean, Albert's um leather shorts aside, um <laughs> they they were they were cucumbers down the Lurex pants, weren't they? I guess. I guess. Uh I just remember You, that you don't remember much of it, do you? <laughs> no, I don't remember the details. <laughs> but I do remember they were lots of fun. And uh and they they always you know, did great with the audience, and and we we loved watching them, and uh, and they were friendly to us too. It was, it was I, beautiful. I know they toured with Rush a lot, and uh, and Phil Mogg and, yeah. and and the crew used to say, "Have you got your robes, Giddy?" <laughs> before <laughs> before he went on stage, before he went on stage, but um, but the reason I'm introducing Will's um, listener question, Will's a lovely yes. chap who uh, supports the pod. Um, in a number of ways, is uh, on Deadly Kisses, there's a piano intro, isn't there? Yes. So my question, yes. my question from Will, and it takes you back a little bit, is he understands that you wrote the piano intro to 
Joan Crawford. Is that right? Yes, that is true. That is true. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I did did you play Elvis it, Joe? And uh, uh, he just said, uh, play me something that, that might might work at the beginning of this song. So I did all, you know, I probably played for 20 minutes. And then he uh, got out the, the, the uh, razor blade and spliced it up and made that beautiful thing. So it was really just me improvising, you know, trying to do, you know, some of my piano tricks that, that uh, I picked up along the way. And uh, yeah, he spliced that into uh, Joan Crawford. And it was kind of the same way that uh, Deadly Kisses, the song you're talking about there, uh, from the new album called American Rocker, <laughs> uh, <laughs> came about. It was like spliced on, started with the chords. And I said, no, it needs a little, needs to set the, you got to set the scene a little bit, you know. Will did ask and a follow-up that, question, though. He said, it, was there yeah. any influence to the piano? And I just looked in Jacob Holm Lupo's book, I think it is, and he talks yeah. about Grieg's piano concerto in A minor. Hmm. Is Maybe. There, is there any credence in that, or is, is that just well, Jacob to, making it up? At that time, at that time that I was doing the opening to uh, uh, Joan Crawford, I was working as a rehearsal pianist for the musical Fantastics. Uh, it was a a long-running musical in New York City. And uh, there is a scene in there called The Rape. The Rape. <laughs> okay. It was, a, it was a different time. It was a different there, time. There's <laughs> a fight on stage. So that the piano uh, does this fight. And I heard it years later. Because I played this, I played the musical a few times, you know, as a rehearsal or in a performance, and uh, that's where that came from. Is this? Uh, I don't know. I think it's called the fight. Yeah, but it's the it's the fight scene in the musical Fantastics that Fabulous. really influenced. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like all over the place and jumping all over and you know trills and. Octaves and Will's a lovely chap, and he asks a really technical piano question there. Um, so I'm going to read it. Um, and he says, uh, Alan appears to play it with his right hand, and the left fills in every yes. note. Whereas, yes, he says something I, about he says something about YouTubers. Playing it the other way around. So, yeah. what what is the definitive Joe Bouchard way well, of it, playing it, the piano it, intro? The piano intro. There's the, a thing where you uh, you you alternate fingers on one key. Uh, Billy Joel did that in um, I don't know that 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 one he does a fancy thing. Uh, uh, I forget the name of it, but anyway. So I, I watched Billy Joel doing that kind of thing. I had known known to do that from, from being in college. But um, yeah, alternating the fingers on one key, and you can get this really fast. And uh, yeah, that's that's how that came about. And I I would just wanted to go through like a section, kind of like 
Pete Townsend does it at the beginning of Tommy, where you hold that one note while the keys, the, the chords move around the different chord, different chords. So kind of influenced by Tommy too. Wow. Probably. I hope yeah. you liked the answer there, Will. Side question, Will's sister, who's called Laura, has a very, very quick one. Um, not sure how you're going to answer this in the uh, in the round and in the in the time we've got available to us. But how do you find your audience has changed through the years, Joe? Well, uh, how has the audience changed? They got a lot more gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think they're the greatest audience ever and like real dedicated our audience definitely really dedicated to the music you know they're not dedicated to our uh our, our dance steps they're not dedicated to our our flashy costumes but but they really 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 are great music fans was there was there a point when it was all men all men all men and yes. then there were a few ladies turned up. Yes. It made a big difference when, when Don't Fear the Reaper came out. Uh, maybe just because the, the audience had just gotten bigger overall, but, but definitely a big change. We went on on tour with Rod Stewart and the Faces in 1975, the year before the Reaper. And that was the first time we played for mostly girls. Because they wanted to be Maggie May, mm -hmm. <laughs> they wanted to be <laughs> they wanted to be, be the Maggie yeah. May. Wake yeah, up, Maggie. <laughs> I think they got something to say to you. Uh, what happens? What happens on tour stays on tour, Joe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that was great tour. Odd in the faces, and then there must have been a point when you realised. Um, this is not a hobby, it's a profession. What was the album, do you think, that um, that made you think you were going to do this for the rest of your life? Oh, the first album for me. Okay. Well, I, oh, I, I was sold. I oh. loved the first album. Oh, but, uh, the first uh, Blue Oyster Cult album. As do we. Was, was, yeah. was tremendous, you know, and the most fun I ever had recording was was that album it was just uh, it was just a joy every day was a joy so um wonderful i can't that's that i i, I knew i was going to have a career in music i, I wasn't sure it was going to be something like little oyster cult but you know i had done so much in you know high school college different bands i was in a jazz band i was in a soul band I, you know I played guitar, played bass, you know, piano, uh, accordion. How, how, <laughs> much, how much of a thrill was it listening to your song on the radio? Um, oh, big thrill. The first one was Cities on Flame with Rock and Roll. Um, then uh, not too many of the singles got played on the radio. Maybe a little bit of Hot Rails to Hell. But um, it wasn't until the Reaper came out that, you know, it was on every radio station. <laughs> Excuse me. I played, it at me. I played it at my mother's funeral, Joe, so if that's, if that's any... Oh, wow. If that's any... 
because because when I was a when I was a teenager living at my mum and dad's house, and it was a small house, and I used to play some enchanted evening quite loudly. Oh wow! She would shout up from the she would shout up from the bottom of the stairs. Turn that down. Turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> so when we uh, when we sent her off, uh, I played admittedly the ETL live version, which oh, I think yeah. is the definitive live version jim griffin may well disagree yeah, with me we've, we've yeah we've disagreed <laughs> about this before it's I'm clearly to... the sub enchanted evening but i, I love I'm the go... way brian that you know your dad dies and you do what he told you not to do and then your mom died and you you immediately felt it out don't fear the reaper at top volume at the funeral so fair fair play jim brian yeah the, the thinking man's i am the thinking man's metal band isn't it that's the thing i was i'm an intellectual snob um, and um, this was, well, I am, and this was my band, and nobody, yeah. nobody, but nobody, because all my friends at grammar school were listening, they were all listening to Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Song, yeah. songs about putting your love <laughs> torpedo into a lady's area. And, <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I wanted... I, uh. I wanted more from the music. I mean, when we saw yeah. you, when we saw you at um, at Donington, I we put the tent up facing away from the stage when White Snake came on because it was every <laughs> it was everything we hated about rock music. Absolutely yeah. everything we hated. It was misogynistic nonsense. Yeah, yeah. There's a place for that. I guess. There's a place for that. But you know what, Joe? And uh, like Brian said, it so much there, and it's something I wanted <laughs> to say to you is. You know, Blue Oyster Cult, you were so big in America in the 70s, and that's what American rocker is about. But for us guys on this side of the pond, you know, um, especially in Ireland or up north in England, like Brian is, BOC was extremely niche. And when we found it, it was like Brian says there, it was it was ours, you know. You were our band and very few mm. other people knew about it. And then when you played them, the records, like you mentioned, the first record, and it's so... Um, deep and yeah. very hard to understand. It can mean anything, which is what the best lyrics are about. Yeah, yeah. And people could not believe what they were hearing. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. just, you, you gave us something over on this side that it was very much ours, you know, little club. And, you know, the question about your fan base, I mean, there was a, about 15 of us who became friends over listening to Blue Eyes to Cult music. And then you turned up in Ireland all those years later with the ex-brother. And that was the 15 guys that you met. And we traveled around the country. Oh, that was just, fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. So but much you, fun. you created something so... You were so big in America with the stadiums and the laser shows. But my experience of BOC was entirely different. It was this cryptic records, very little info around. Um, it was very special times for us, mm -hmm. so... It's it's great to hear you talk about it on this new yeah. record, American Rocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the other things that sort of fall into the thing, like Rocket to Fame. Yeah, that was about you know um, the 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 idea of a guitar hero, which is kind of gone now. I don't know who's a guitar hero. Uh. Not many you people. Know, <laughs> Flash, 
Yeah. And even yeah. he goes back to the 80s, you know, yeah, there's very, yeah, few, new yeah. very few new ones. There's very few new ones. Very few. Joe Bonamassa, maybe one of the new guys. You, you yeah. got your DJ heroes now, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, who play old guitar records. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sample old guitar records. Sample, yeah. Great <laughs> guitar really riffs from sampling. the 70s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a bit sad, yeah. Well, anyway, the rock fame is about that. You know, the, the hero, I, you know, the, you know, digging the guitar, you know, and being... Uh, you know, taking that rocket to fame. You're on a you're on a roller coaster, you know. And that you know you're heading up the you're heading up the roller coaster, and then the the song is getting in getting some airplay. And you get get up to the top. And like, oh, you know. <laughs> I yeah. made I made a note. Sorry, I made a note. Um, listening to um, Off Season Hotel, which you mentioned quite a while back, at Joe, that this yeah. is one of the strongest tracks on the album and uh, I could have easily seen it on Spectres it just had the same vibe mm. and the same production the warm lovely just in fact my notes are in capitals marvelous exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark so that was a, that was a, a long process to get that one done because uh, I combined two different stories from my life Back in 1967, 1968, I was working in a uh, resort hotel, and I was the band leader at this resort. And we're playing jazz and the hits of the day and bossa novas, and people would come in and they would sit in with us. There was opera singers that would come in. But, but then at the end of the summer, this is the greatest summer, I was, I was 18 years old. And at the end of the summer... You have a big party, what is called Labor Day here. It's our big end of the summer party. And everybody's having a great time. And then all of a sudden, it turns into a, like, a, like a ghost resort. Everybody leaves, and they head down to Florida. This is, this is up north. And they head down to Florida and do their, their winter jobs in Florida. So that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is Albert calls me up almost 30 years later, maybe at least 30 years later, and says, uh, how would you like to go to Florida and play for the Ghost Hunters? You probably have never heard of the Ghost Hunters, but there was a TV program here. Uh, they go looking for ghosts and scary Yeah, yeah we, we have, we have yeah, those. Oh, we have yeah. They're actually plumbers. <laughs> People who do plumbing. So they're used to the sounds of pipes. Going, yeah. <laughs> And what is that? So they had a whole TV series here, this sort of uh, reality show, reality show. And they were having a convention. So they hired Albert and myself and, oh, I forget who else. I, I, it was Underbelly. It was an Underbelly show. And uh, so we went down to Florida in this old, old hotel, this old wooden hotel. And then we're sitting in the bar after we played. And there's all these TVs. And I said, what are those TVs for? He says, well, they're, they're connected to the attic because they're on a ghost hunt up there. And I said, come on. <laughs> but then a woman comes over and says, you guys want to go on a ghost hunt? And it was, it was midnight. Sure, why not? Let's go on a ghost hunt. So they give us these night vision goggles and, and these listening devices. 
for two hours, we go out <laughs> to the attic of this thing. And they, they say, you know, there's a lot of people that used to live here, you know, and some people may have even died here, you know, and we're, going, we're listening, we're looking, and then, you know, you hear all these noises. Ah! So anyway, that was a, that was a fun concert, you know, so I, I say, I'll tie these two stories together. One where I'm, you know, just working there as a, in the, as the staff of a, a resort. And then later were the guests at a ghost hunt, you know, trying to find the people that used to live there. Yes. That, 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 that was fun. A lot of fun. Very, very autobiographical. One of the, uh, one of my other favorite songs is, um, is conspiracy because that's dripping in, in brass as well. Um, yes. There's two, there's two things I want to ask you about it. There's a, Mm-hmm. You've got a guitar, well, I can only describe as a guitar orchestra sound on it. Like, yeah, it's just, is that all you layered up? Yeah, well, I, I used, uh, you know, I can't remember now, but I, I use some samples. I usually start with brass samples and, and you know, uh, some kind of band sample. And then I go in and replace it with real trumpets. And that, or combine the two, a little bit of both. And then it, that really makes it come to lie. You know, really, you know, you, you can't do it with samples and get that feeling, you know. Um, yeah, that one, uh, that one's a, a good, good rocking song. And, uh, you know, it's stuff. I had this phrase, conspiracy in the, in the swamp of crazy. You know, the, the, the conspiracies that come out, especially about <laughs> yeah. politics these yeah. days, it's yeah. just endless. It's endless. I can't yeah. take it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that one was another song. I, I had different lyrics for it, but I had to change them. And uh, uh, I, I love the way it came out. And a lot of people are talking about that one, too. But so. there's, a, there's, a great I, so, there's a great solo on the end. That's you, obviously, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's all yeah. me on that one. Yeah, all the really guitars, good. piano, you know, bass. I mean, one of the reasons I do these albums because a lot of the fans say, "I just want to hear you play bass again." Well, <laughs> it's all me, all bass, and and to play with Mickey Curry too is a great thrill. Yeah, yeah, he's done the last two albums that I've done, and yeah. then it was great having Elbert come in and Elbert had some suggestions about you know percussion parts and you know he put a cowbell on my way is the highway that's it's we're not we're it's not great. we're not gonna <laughs> I, I do have i do have a jingle but i can't find it it's too it's too, it's, it's we have we have got a we have got a very simple you're listening to the blue oyster cult fan pod the bungo pony podcast there we go I was. Cool. I'm not gonna put. I'm not gonna put cowbell on because that demeans. <laughs> that demeans fifty. <laughs> that demeans fifty no, years. No. It demeans fifty years of um, genre defining. Uh, I can. I can music. put a cowbell. Cowbell right on the podcast. I've got an Albert Bouchard <laughs> signed, signed. Signed cowbell. Unbelievable. That's it. You can hear it here. <laughs> cool. My wife just sent me a message. How was the interview? 
Still <laughs> just, get, just getting to the new well, album. Still well, going on. It'll be done in about two more days. <laughs> she's she's uh, she's at a work conference in Manchester. She's probably shacked up with a mucky fella, but um, <laughs> but uh, but the the last the last track, uh, Joe. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I was expecting the epiphany i was expecting um i don't know what because it's called hey there susie dear which for blue yes. cult fans is like it's it's like blue cult porn isn't it hey there susie dear like susie is the the pinnacle the i know astronomy yeah i know and it's a, a it's a sing-along chorus and slide guitars and a great rock song but you don't mm-hmm. tell us anything about her so What's that all about? We don't know. It's a mystery. Oh, God, behave. Sandy, Sandy Broman, but it was Sandy's character, you know. There's nobody listening, Joe, honestly. Harry Nurse and (laughs) Desdenova, all these characters that were in astronomy, he never told me what it was all about or who who was it about. So I've been thinking about this every time I I play the song. And I think I get to that line, I say, whatever happened to Susie, dear, you know? And uh, it's a mystery. That should be a mystery. That would remain a mystery. That that would not. Brian wants answers. (laughs) (laughs) That that would that would normally on any other podcast, Joe, be a good point to end the podcast. But now I have questions. Okay, (laughs) this podcast is never ending, Joe. I got got nothing else happening today. I'm going to make uh, oysters. Hot rail, steam hot, some oysters. Hot rails to hell. You you wrote that. You were traveling mm-hmm. on the subway with Gaulic. Tell me about yes. or tell us about Gaulic because yeah. Well, the uh, Gaulic said, "Hey, do you want to go to uh, New York to see a jazz concert?" And I said, "Sure." You know, I got nothing to do. I was, you know, uh, it was a, a day off. We had everybody else was gone, so it was just me and Gaulic. And he, he would drive his car into Brooklyn and park it on the street uh, because he didn't want to park in the city because he'd have to pay like five dollars to to uh, to park so he could park for free. And we take the subway from Brooklyn into New York City up to uh, Lincoln Center where the concert was. So we went to the concert. It was it was really good. Um, Oh, I forget the guy, the guy that plays the three horns at once, you know, and uh, it was pretty emotional, too, you know. So we get back on the subway to go back out to get his car. And uh, there's this there's this thing on the wall. It was twelve seven seven. And then somebody had spray painted King King right on the wall. And I'm looking at this. Gee, that's a sign or something. Because our agent, Phil King, had just been murdered. He died maybe three or four days earlier. And he lived in the same house with Gallic and me. We all lived in the same house. So I, I had never known anybody that would that that had, you know, a tragic ending like that, you know. And uh so that was that was the that's how that song came about. Twelve seven seven express to heaven. Do you, do you, you know, know what happened to him? Speeding along on the on the rails, and I, you know, 
the subway is pretty, you know, bouncy and, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I'm a, like I said, I, I grew up on a farm in upstate New York. I didn't, you know, it was all like very bizarre. Do you so, know, do you know what happened to him, Joe? To, uh, to garlic. No, no. He is a mystery like Susie dear. Wrapped in an enigma. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, well, I, who knows? Maybe he's like, maybe he's down in the Caribbean, you know, uh, you know, working as a, a, a painter on the street. Really? Doing portraits. Yeah. Doing portraits <laughs> on the street. Let's, let's, let's hope so. Um, yeah. There's only yeah. one more thing. I, I'm very, uh, um, very fond of um, a, an animals reimagined thing that you played on. Do you remember? Oh yeah, the yeah. the pigs, uh, three different ones yeah, you played on. Yeah, we got to get out of this place. You you played with James um, Labrie and Alda Dimiola and Miraz and Billy oh, Cobham oh, on oh, the yeah, on the Pink the, Floyd the thing, thing on the Pink Floyd thing. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. compilation. How did you get involved with that? Oh, I got an email out of the blue. Uh, from Cleopatra Records. Albert had talked to them. Uh, they wanted us to do something else. But he had talked to this guy at Cleopatra Records in, the, in uh, California and uh, said, you want to play bass, you know, and they'll pay you. Cool. <laughs> and that's Marvelous. Then he said, Marvelous. The guitar is going to be Al Dimiola. The drums are going to be Billy Cobham. Billy Cobham, we, we toured with it in, in 71, in 72. In 72, we played with wow. Mahavishnu. And they, they, Billy was the greatest guy. I still see his brother all the time. And he wow. plays a trumpet. He's a great trumpet player, Wayne. And I, I was just stunned, you know, that they that asked me. So I, I figured, oh, how hard could it be? It was hard. The keyboard, right. the, the keyboard player from yeah. Yes, I know. How, how, how yeah. hard is it? Yeah. You know? And uh, uh, and uh, it was going to be, the singer was going to be from Judas Priest, but um, uh, they ended up getting James Debris, who's wow. the singer with... Uh, uh, good uh, choice. Dream, Dream <laughs> good, Theater. Good Dream choice. Theater. Yeah. And he's great. Yeah. So it was all good. Mixed by a German guy. It's one of these international things, you know. Um, I actually album did his drums and I prefer I prefer wow. it. I prefer it to the original, if truth be told. I'm not I'm everybody not, says it's great. I'm not yeah, a bit I'm not a big yeah, really. I'm, I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan. I know. Strike me down, but um but yes, I prefer that version. I think that um Al Dimiola is has the the power to be Pink Floyd without being David Gilmore. <laughs> he really can. He, he is himself. Yeah. He is himself. He's not. He's not a David Gilmore clone at all. You know. Billy Cobham. And I love it. Yeah, I just love it. Billy Cobham's yeah. a, a drum caresser, not a drum hitter. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think I, that- wish, I wish we could have all been in the studio together. Mm. But it was like one of those international things where. It's, People from all over the world um, contributed to it. They asked me to do another one. I'm doing another one. Oh, it's not a cool. Pink Floyd. It's a, a thing with Billy Sherwood. 
from yes. We love we love Billy. Ah. I know I know yeah. Jim Jim's got a few questions about the upcoming tour. Um okay. Joe. Well, oh, well, I was going to ask you, yeah, about the tour, and I will. But uh, you know, I, I, I had a sense, Joe, that that you were going to finally tell us what happened in what happened in Donington there back in nineteen eighty eighty one. So uh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to give my give my time to the representative from Connecticut here, and he can tell us about Donington. Donington was just uh, you know it was an unfortunate gig. It was a big one, and the sound was not good. We tried to figure out why it wasn't good. People still talk about it. Uh, everybody else's sound was was reasonable. And we thought it was going to be okay. But uh, somehow it was either equipment failure or sabotage. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a Sab- It was sabotage. Was it? <laughs> it was sabotage. I think it was. <laughs> it was sabotage, Joe. <laughs> conspiracy. Yes. Now we it's know what that song's about. It's about Dunnington. Now we know. <laughs> I'm going to go rewrite the verse. I'm going to go rewrite the verse. <laughs> I think you should. But no, it was. Uh, it was. There was a rodeo wrote all about it, and he said it was quite clearly yeah, yeah, yeah. sabotage. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, I mean, it's possible, you know, but I think that, uh, and some people put the, like, well, Albert wasn't there. That's the problem. Yeah. And and I, it wouldn't have been any different uh, if, if we had the same kind of technical problems. Uh, and Rick had just played the night before and the night before that, and he was fine. And then we played in Germany right after that. It was amazing. Mm. It was he was great, great to work with. I love the working with Rick. So uh Rick did some really probably, good recordings. I mean it the, would have made a the, difference. Yeah. yeah. Rick was a good, good, dedicated, hardworking, you know. Uh, you know, we, not, we had a good time. I'm not sure yeah, about putting then, that I'm not sure about putting that rubber Godzilla head on his <laughs> No, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> Whose idea? <laughs> He would no Godzilla, no, no Godzilla head. He was not doing that. He was not doing that. Good for him. <laughs> we are we are going to have to wrap up shortly. But um, yeah. speaking of Godzilla, I know there was a big oh. to and fro, wasn't there? About um, the movie was it ninety eight? The movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, for thirty years, they um, we we would try to contact the producers of these movies like hey why don't you use our song you know why are you using puff daddy when you could use blue oyster puff, <laughs> who, you know. who's puff daddy i don't know who puff, puff daddy puff is daddy <laughs> i don't know who he is p diddy p diddy or blue oyster cup 50 50 it's pence is it is that's a no-brainer that's hollywood that's hollywood that's uh, you know, Toho, uh you know japan um, and, uh, and finally after 35 years, the last, last one, they did it, the, uh, a nice version with the singer from system of the down. I know yeah. a lot of people like, of course, it's not the original, but I think he did it. Serge Tanankin did a great job. I love it. system and of I the love, down. Love, uh, love, love by, uh, the, uh, the or, arranger. In fact, I've heard a rumor that Buck Dharma is going to work with that arranger, that guy who scored the movie. Yeah. Cool. You heard it here, folks. You heard it on the Bongo Pony podcast. (laughs) 
it's a rumor. I'm, I, I can't uh, cool. confirm it. But, that's uh, cool. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think Don, we, we all liked the thing he did, especially with those big Japanese drums and the and the chanting monks. And, yeah, it was cool. And really brought brought a lot of creativity to, yeah. to the plate. You have, really a, you, you have a long length of wood in your hands, Mr. Bouchard. Yes, this is uh this is my tenor banjo. Cool. Nice. Oh wow. Bum bum go bum go pony I don't play it on eyes. Make a dash for freedom, baby. And don't get out on the polar aisle. Right, guys, <laughs> it was a great, it was great chatting with you. Thanks so much, that Joe. Was, <laughs> that was that was truly awesome. That was truly wonderful. That was Brilliant. truly wonderful. Let's say this is not farewell. This is until the next time. Adieu. Definitely, Joe. Thank you. That's pretty special. Thank Thanks, you Joe. ever so much. We have a we have an end thing, so I'll do some cutting and pasting and stuff. Oh, so yeah. do whatever I, you got. I'll, I'll just That's press. Fine. I'll just yeah. press the end thing. The Bungo Pony Podcast has left the building. Join us next time for more jolly badinage.